Sam. It's your boy, KY, coming to you live from Gotham City. I uh, just have a quick PSA before we dive into this, this week's ep. We actually have a special bonus piece of content this week. This was our first attempt at an After Dark special with our esteemed guest and very loyal listener, early adopter, Andrew Sennett. But due to some circumstances that were both outside and inside of our control, aka we got way too lit, I was only able to salvage maybe 10 minutes of our 90-minute recording. So the rest of the audio from that night was immediately put into our raw dog archives. We may release that in the future through some sort of premium subscription membership at some point. But for now, on to our feature, where we'll dive into the high art of claymation horror, courtesy of Bradford. We're live. We're live. Zeit? Well, critical question I have for you, first off, is could you actually recover any of the audio that you, me, and Senate recorded a couple weeks ago? (laughs) Yeah, there are a couple of phrases in there that we can pull out. And uh, I think I can I can definitely take part of your audio track because from what I remember, I mean, I, you know, it was a little hazy, but there was some good knowledge being thrown out from your side. And then honestly, I think some of Senate's stuff is also salvageable and like pretty good. So <laughs> we'll splice it together with with today's. I just remember you guys like starting to stare off into the distance. <laughs> A couple times and i'm like what are they looking at and it like took me a while to realize that you guys had just smoked a blunt and i was like oh they're just super high because i like i guess normally would have been right there with you and then um and it's, so it's really hilarious to watch someone get high on video when you don't have all of the normal ind- indicators yeah. that someone's high like you smell it and then you can see their eyes and then maybe <laughs> you smoked a little um so it was pretty hilarious what's funny is it like was a great combo though it great great hang sesh it was kind of like uh you know how slash cast or whatever they're called now they mm-hmm. do those like late night or like after dark series it's basically basically our spinoff yeah what's funny is like i think we smoked half a j before that session and Senna was like I don't want to get too high I don't really want to smoke and then like 10 minutes later <laughs> he was like roll up another fatty I think we had probably <laughs> smoked like six J's that night <laughs> yeah y'all actually seemed like I wouldn't have noticed um right when you started but well it was a good time yeah I was gonna say the same thing about after dark I feel like it's a great uh if we had subscribers we could give it to our subscribers as subscriber only content it's a good format since we don't i guess it'll just go in the main feed we are live with a special guest special guest late night guest (laughs) late night guest are perhaps our most engaged this is actually our number one fan (laughs) right in fairness to your real number one fan which is we know that's Jacob. Uh, I can't claim that title, but I'm so appreciative to be here. Nobody knows how handsome uh, the beard of Bradford Church is and how striking the frame of KY is. I think people may think, oh, you guys are, are, are movie reviewers. 
you know, friends from college, uh, you know, how was January 6th? <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and not really appreciate that these are fine-looking gentlemen. And with that, we have to talk about Nope. Okay, let's talk about Nope, because <clears throat> I literally just finished it. All right, let's do – I don't want to start on this one, because I probably – yeah, I have, like, very moderate takes, I would say, on this. So I feel like you guys should go, because I know, Senate, you said you liked it a lot, and I haven't heard KY's take. So, I mean, I liked it a lot as well. What, what I really appreciated about it was as soon as you start watching it, it's very clearly a Jordan Peele movie, and I like that he has, like, a very specific voice, and you kind of know his style. It's very almost A24, right? Where, like, I mean, I think at this point you can say Jordan Peele is, like, an auteur. Yeah. And I think it's also it was also a great homage to, like, classic horror because Sen and I were talking earlier about the visuals, and I, I was really into, like, the sound design of just, like, how they created this monster, especially when you don't see the monster and there's nothing visual about it, but... There's something interesting about like the sound that they Sorry. create. I'm just so excited to talk about that particular comment. That's I'm not laughing at yeah. what you're saying. I'm I'm ready to talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah. But beside that, I didn't think it was necessarily as good as us or get out, for example. Yeah. I mean one of those was like a little more straightforward, but I think both were really nuanced in the commentary. And Steven Yoon, by the way. Yeah. Steven Yoon is hilarious in this movie (laughs) (laughs) he's also one of my new favorite favorite actors but also by the way we should put this back in the front again but ky you gotta walk back over here oh i can hear you now you can hear yeah yeah yeah. yeah. he went went away to the kitchen okay he's pouring (laughs) he's pouring for net uh (laughs) the problem but uh wait so good night wait so but give anyways. me wait senna give me your nope I, I'm, I don't i feel like you really liked nope. i want to hear this also yeah okay as somebody that does not see a ton of movies in theaters i went to go see this in a really cool theater and it was everything i wanted from a movie that was a little bit fun because it was engaged and I could talk about it, but also at the end of the day, I could also turn my brain off. And that is valuable to me. Is this movie going to win an Academy Award? No. Uh, does Jordan Peele continue to uh, garner larger budgets? Yeah. The alien in this is probably the most beautiful representation of like the good and bad in both uh, everything uh, of all time. I mean, it's it's really it's somehow so in your face and yet very subtle. And um, yeah. you, you there's a moment where you feel bad or love or like love is the word, I guess, the monster. And that is an achievement, uh, not to mention, I'm sure that the L.A. types love this, because I think there's a lot of odes to like OG Hollywood that. Yeah. yeah. Um, as somebody from Milwaukee are just over my head. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very first off. Fantastic take from our special guest, Andrew Sinnott. I think that's a well well balanced take, and I think that I I almost I almost totally agree with that and, and what you said, KY. But I think like the Ode to Hollywood is a really good take, and I think one reason why I really dislike Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as a movie is that it's so like self masturbatory. I guess that's like kind of a redundant term, self masturbatory, but it's so it's so masturbatory. It's like I can appreciate why they're saying what they're saying, but it's like, yes, like 
would I especially love a movie about my like niche business that I like spend all my day thinking about? Like totally. And I can't like talk shit too much shit about it, but it's also like not a reason to particularly like, like the movie. So I think that's a really good take. I also think that um, what you said about it being like a pretty good version of horror. That's also brain turn off. and it furthers Jordan Peele's career. Just like you said, KY he's like, this is only another hammer. I mean, another nail, not coffin. That's a terrible uh, analogy, but like, it's another, it's another pillar and support of his like auteur status. And like you said, Senate, he's like going to get more and more budget. And so that's great. I will say that it's just like, in my opinion, this was like a worse version of bird box. It was like bird box to me is one of the best horror movies that has ever come out in the last, in the last 10 years. The one with Sandra Bullock. Yeah. The Netflix movie. Yeah, exactly. I think it's the the ultimate expression of modern horror, where in a world in which in a world in which uh, everything can be seen and everything can be filmed and everything can be visualized through special effects, the only thing that's truly terrifying is something that you can't see, and that is beautiful to me. And I felt like Jordan Peele was like trying to sort of get at that with Nope, where you have to like avert your eyes, and then by the time like. Sure, I take what's in it, what you're saying, where, like, yeah, there's, like, some beautiful stuff to do with, the, like, the bad guy and the, the alien or whatever. But, like, in the end, I was super nonplussed by this thing and um, whatever. I, I'm, not, I'm not shitting on it. Like, would I totally watch it in a theater? Yeah, like, it's great. But, like, I'm never going to watch it again, and I, like, almost certainly would put it at the bottom of my summer movie list. So I am very excited about the news for our listeners out there. I get a text, an SMS, actually an iMessage, could have been anything really, from KY earlier this week saying, just watched Mad God with a picture of Mad God across his screen. I think it was like 3 p.m. on a Friday, by the way. And I was like, this is aggressive. (laughs) So that sounds accurate. It was definitely around like three, three thirty. Because uh, <laughs> I was sneaking out of work to go have beers with my neighbor, and I was like, "Wow, KY is about to go down a totally different path than I'm about to go down with my <laughs> night." Um, so I'm excited. I also have some really great sneaky films that I want to want to touch on too. But obviously, most important, I want to get your takes on on the Mad God. Yeah. I, I'm pumped for that conversation because like, wow, that was an experience. And I, it was also good that you had some technical issues getting online because that's when I was like panicking and like frantically searching my watch history, trying to come up with something, <laughs> something to talk about. <laughs> I've really loved getting back into Letterboxd. I know we talked about this last time, Dude, but getting same. back into Letterboxd. Just such a great way of keeping track of what you're watching and stuff. There's some like nuances that are kind of annoying about it, but 
And generally speaking, I really like it. Good platform. So, yeah. Well, how do you want to do this? So we should. So do you want to touch on a couple of things besides Mad God on your end first, and then I can give you. I don't. I only have a couple of items to talk about, but. Yeah. At most, like I have a couple of things. Not all of them are TV or movies. I have a lot of just like backup in case I run out of things to say. Go to this secondary list. <laughs> but yeah, do you want me to? Just read read through mine and see which ones you want. Yeah, to talk let's do about. A read through on both sides, and we can, yeah, we can, we can talk about it from there. So okay, so we should at least very briefly touch on the new Lord of the Rings show, Rings of Power, on Amazon. Mm. Yep, I agree. Definitely I've been some watching there, yeah. and then I also went down just like a really weird, brief Netflix obsession with this show called Big Timber. It's a reality show about the big timber industry, big lumber, uh, but. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, aside from that, and then I also started reading this really interesting book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it's basically Jonathan Haidt's perspective on like why social media is actually incompatible with a liberal form of democracy. So I, th- I want to tie that to Mad God. We should talk about that. Okay, well, let's, let's touch base on, I do want to do The Rings of Power. I've also been watching that in addition to the new Game of Thrones, which is, uh, you know, everyone's talking about the, the ratings wars, but I actually, I, I do sincerely think there's like some interesting commentary there and uh, two different takes on sword and sorcery, so to speak. And then I think I really want to talk about two things. One is called, so just in general, this last week, I have been watching somehow, I don't want to call them classics because I'm sure people will say, it's not a classic, uh, the things I'm about to say, but I have stuff from 1998 roughly to 2010 that are sleepers. One is the 2010 uh, Christopher Smith film called Black Death, starring Sean Bean. And another one is called, <laughs> I just, okay, tell me, see, tell me if you've ever actually ever heard of Reign of Fire in 2002. It came out in uh, 20 years ago, and it has Matthew. Mc- it's starring Matthew McConaughey, Gerard Butler, Christian Bale, and Isabel Skorupko. Tell me you haven't heard of it because I had never heard. So of I've this never movie. heard of this. This uh, cast it's, is stacked, though. It's so stacked, <laughs> and it's like before they were all like as famous, like 20 years ago. These people, um, and then. You gotta the love last the. One uh, is, sorry, you, you gotta love the thirty-nine Metascore. That's how you know it's a five banger, dude. That movie is so good. So yeah, spoiler alert, it's amazing. Uh, and then uh, Ip Man, you know, like the oh, kung yeah. fu movie that's been on Netflix for a while. I watched that. Uh, it's been on my list for like a really long time. I don't need to spend very much time at all on it, Man and Black Death. I want to give a quick rundown of my thoughts on Reign of Fire. So maybe we start with 30-second run-throughs of everything and then do a slightly deeper dive on Reign of Fire and Lord of the Rings or whatever. Is that good with you? And then we can jump into Mad God. And then we, yeah, we should spend most of our time on Mad God. Okay, cool. Well, I'll, how about I start, I'll do my very brief 30-second reviews of a, a couple of small things and then give you my thoughts on Rain of Fire and then we can jump into Lord of the Rings or your short reviews. So 2010 Black Death 
a fun jaunt through medieval Europe, as I would say. It's a it's just a it's just a really solid B movie about like violent witchcraft in the middle of the Black Plague sort of situation. Recommend it. Great background watching. Just a little gem in the rough. I'm not going to say it's a diamond in the rough. It's more like a kind of a shitty emerald. It's like a it's, uh, it's blood not bad. diamond. I'd give it a strong, yeah, exactly. Strong three and a half stars, which is I would say is pretty good. Ip Man, really liked at the beginning of it, actually. Strong kung fu movie really gets you going. I really, really start to like the character. Before, I, you, I, before you dive into that, which one did you watch? The first, I didn't, I guess there's a bunch of them, isn't there? I, I just watched the the um, 2008 one just called Ip Man. Okay. I think that was the original, right? Yeah, okay. at least on Wikipedia and IMDb, it said it was the original. It Man is, it's a semi-biographical account of Yip Man, or it's pronounced, it's spelled a bunch of different ways in, in Latinate characters, but martial arts teacher teaching Wing Chun, a type of Chinese martial art, like basically was a great master, then they got invaded by Japan during World War II, and it's pretty much a pretty heavily fictionized version of his life i really i ended up really not liking it. i really loved the fighting but like as the movie progressed pretty much not a fan it was like it got really propaganda-y which is fine like there's nothing like you can do a little rah-rah hooray china we hate the chinese like i mean we hate the japanese the same way i would put it in the category of like inglorious bastards kind of as i've told you before not a very big fan of that it's just it's leaning so heavily on a crutch of unnecessary evil it just it ends up like kind of like honestly doing a disservice i think to the actual horror of all of the terrible things that happened anyway that's my hot take on it unless you have anything to add i'll I'll move on rain of fire (laughs) let's just do i want to actually read the uh this is actually from letterbox summary 2002 rain of fire in a post-apocalyptic england an american volunteer matthew mcconaughey and a british survivor christian bale team up to fight off a brood of fire-breathing dragons seeking to return to global dominance after centuries of rest underground. The Brit, Christian Bale, leading a clan of survivors to hunt down the king of the dragons, has much at stake. His mother was killed by a dragon, but his love is still alive. This movie is, I think my review of this movie is, I can see why it got panned when it came out. Okay, it was like, I imagine them somebody out there spending a shit ton of money on these special effects because they actually really hold up. Twenty, a lot of two thousand and two special effects do not hold up, so they clearly spent a ton of money um, on these special effects and probably ended up with something that really just like, <laughs> like did not hit on the box office at the time. Probably also a little bit weird timing in, in that it has probably had probably been in production and involves the destruction of a major, major capital city like a year after September eleventh. But my take on it is this movie is like a wine that's harsh and hard to drink when it's young, but delicious and nuanced after it's aged 25 years. There's fucking dragons before dragons were cool. It's post-apocalypse. There's a young and sexy Matthew McConaughey looking more ripped than I've ever seen him. Gerard Butler 20 years ago. Uh, Christian Bale 20 years ago. Isabella um, Skorupko, who you'd recognize if you saw her. I mean... What could you not like? This is like such a gift. I'm so happy that I stumbled on this movie. Very strong four stars. I would say just exactly what you were looking. If you ever like 
hunting around for something you haven't watched before that's just gonna get like scratch that itch for like high production value mediocre like action movie with some real stars that you like to watch this is this is right up your alley so i would say next time you don't know what to watch but you don't want to focus very much rain of fire is what you need dude this is so i'm just looking through the pictures from the movie on mdib and this is <laughs> hilarious this is this looks like this looks like a potential five banger maybe give it another like it's... 20 years and uh we'll bump up that rating <laughs> yeah i think in 20 years it'll easily be a five might even be a five or six to be honest i mean do you think this is the peak of cinematic achievement because clearly the, <laughs> the director was like this is ahead of its time but i know that in the future decades this will be appreciated similar to <laughs> some of del toro's movies <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's like it's like people being like seeing pablo picasso's work for the first time being disgusted, disgusted yeah. by the cubism <laughs> only to look back and say he was a visionary <laughs> it's so good it's uh, i do like okay you can't take it seriously but it's it's great this is the uh same director as the x-files i see it he's so he yeah he definitely uh, has a brand rob bowman he has a brand yeah known for reign of fire and the exiles that's such a specific <laughs> dude the, thing. the very last movie he did in 2005 was electra electra with a k that's a terrible movie with uh <laughs> jennifer garner <laughs> assassin I'm for sad hire. To say, i'm sad to say i've seen it and it's pretty pretty terrible i think he's a good tv director is what i've with the obviously exception of reign of fire which is a true classic Electra also has a 34 meta score. Not a coincidence. This guy knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> maybe, yeah, you're right. Maybe in um, another 15 years, Electra is going to be. I'm pretty sure not, though. That <laughs> yeah. movie was so bad. <laughs> but every every great artist has to explore their space when they're so far ahead of their time. What do they have to compare their masterworks to? Nothing. So that's a good point. And we can only judge by comparison. So that's on us. That's on us. That's not on the, the, the genius of Rob Bowman. 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 All right. Well, that's it for me. I mean, obviously, I'll comment on LOTR. But what is your take? Yeah. Hit me with, or if you want to start with some of your other uh, watchings, um, let's go there. But we can dive into whatever. Okay, let's yeah, let's dive into Lord of the Rings. So, there was so much anticipation around this show. I think I remember reading that they spent like fifty million dollars per episode or something ridiculous, like even more ridiculous than when Game of Thrones came out. And I, I don't know where that money went, but uh, I've only seen the first episode. I remember when the trailer dropped recently. I had no idea what it was about. It made zero sense to me, but I was I was super excited, right? I'm a I'm a Lord of the Rings fan for sure. I really liked those movies when they came out and the books were great, but rewatching those movies, I think I rewatched those like earlier this year. They really hold up. Yeah, Even, they slap. Yeah, they they slap and they slap harder with age. So it's also like a different type of fine wine, but my main takeaway from this show is where where did that budget go 
how who was in charge of allocating this budget because for i don't know i my main takeaway from episode one was like it still looks like i'm watching a, a standard tv show and for that amount of money well i feel like it should look like a movie but it was an interesting side of this world that we didn't dive really deep into in the movies which i appreciated that's an interesting take it's nuanced I, th- I think I agree. With- so I've seen three episodes. I think the fourth came out tonight, potentially. We're recording on a Wednesday for listeners. I will say I almost didn't keep watching it after the first episode. Not because I didn't like it, but I was similarly like, meh. But I'm really, really glad I kept uh, kept it up. I'd say the production value really ramps. Uh, let me come back. I, have, I do have a couple comments on some issues I had with the CGI, which sounds like such a like nerdy thing to say, <laughs> but I'll, I do have like a couple points that I like noticed on that. But when they go to Numenor or the, um, which we've never seen in any Lord of the Rings film, as far as I know, it's, it's, I've actually just happened to be reading, rereading the first book. Cause I needed, uh, not the Hobbit, but the fellowship of the ring. And they do actually talk a lot about the mythology in that. And then there's also the Cimmerillion, I guess, which is like, and like the Lost Tales, which is all the stuff that no one's ever actually read by J.R.R. Tolkien. That's like the true deep mythology of Middle-earth. But but yeah, I will say the Numenorean stuff. And then when they go to the dwarf, uh, when Elrond goes to like the dwarf kingdom in the second episode, it is stunning. Like totally on par with a, a, a movie. That said, the fight scenes are a little disappointing. Not because, like, if anything, I'm actually glad they're a little bit less bloody and, like, horrific than the Reign of Dragons or whatever the HBO new Game of Thrones is. Um, That's way over the top for me. But I will say it's a little disappointing. Like, there's a couple ones where these there's, like, aggressive fights with, like, monsters. And I'm like, where did the billion dollars go? I agree. But, But I think where it went is these, like, epic, epic sets. Like... The Numenor set is like very engrossing. Like it's very, very fucking cool. I would highly recommend keep keep watching it. I'm a huge fan. It's like not, it's hard to compare it to, which I don't think you're doing, but it's hard to compare it f- fairly to uh, the movies because Peter Jackson like hit it out of the park. Like that, like those three movies are just epically good. Um, And so, you know, I'm happy if it's only like 70% that good. Okay, I think those are fair points, right? But dollar for dollar, you want to see that dollar go as far as it can. But I'm, I take your point. Like, I'm excited to keep watching. I did actually hear that the dwarf stuff gets really cool. But another, like, really nerdy thing. When I was watching episode one, the, some of the dialogue and the writing just was not working for me. And it felt like the interactions, like, the more intimate inter- interactions with Galadriel and just other elves a lot of that just didn't really feel earned in a sense and sure there's clearly supposed to be some weight like emotional weight behind some of that dialogue and just don't feel it there was no real arc there but i think you can make the same criticism of the novel the actual novels J.R. tolkien is like not known for his like weighty dialogue and frankly even his character character development is kind of two-dimensional to be to be honest and i don't mean to take away from it they are some of my favorite books like such a foundational almost mythology to modern popular culture with is what he did with lord of the rings but but yeah i mean 
yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I think, in my opinion, they're that's how these characters are developed. Like, you're, I, I go to watch anything Lord of the Rings, not because I want to see like deep, multifaceted characters. I mean, that would be nice to have, but I go because of like there's an epic tale with like some huge struggle between good and evil, and I want to see some like cool fighting maybe, and I want to like learn about a magic ring like so anyway i don't mean to just i'm not disagreeing with you at all but um i'm not i don't particularly see it as like a a major major negative it would be nice to have some better um character writing though i agree yeah and i you know it's like every show has its focus right and it's lord of the rings the dialogue is not the number one thing they're worried about but the the tolkien thing is interesting because I like vaguely remember reading those books and I do also remember that the character development wasn't, it's not your typical character development and it doesn't have to be, but I actually ran random side fact that I learned recently is apparently, and nobody fact check me on this, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) apparently Tolkien spent a significant percent of his life, like several decades trying to translate the original Sir Gawain and the Green Knight poem. Yeah, the uh, by the Pearl Poet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or Sir Garwin, as they say in the movie. <laughs> Gar- Garwin? Garwin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I just got thrown back into that movie. What a great film. Yeah, I uh, he did. And he also translated, I think he did a version of Beowulf as well. I mean, he did a lot of like truly foundational old english which is basically like a branch of germanic work that's like still found in like a lot of textbooks like i remember taking he was a a very legit and influential i think cambridge scholar on old english because when i was majoring in english i don't know if you ever took any of these classes ky but i remember i had to take a middle english class and we studied some of the old english stuff um i don't know if you ever i think it's samuel uh shit what's his name Anyway, I remember um, we had to like actually study some of like J.R.R. Tolkien's like actual like stuff. And I'm like, is this the same guy? And it's like, yep, he was actually like really influential uh, in the early translation space. But yeah. he's a, he's definitely broad spectrum, full spectrum hemp CBD organic product. Oh yeah, but yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm actually I kind of regret not having taken some of those classes uh, in school. Like I, I think most of the English classes I took were very postmodern some gothic horror thrown in there which was cool yeah that which is very cool and those might be better classes i would say one class i hated i really hated my professor i hope she's not listening um <laughs> i actually, can yeah, guarantee she you she's not listening <laughs> <laughs> that's true if she, if, she, if she was she would have absolutely no memory of me except for that kid who kept turning in shitty shitty papers about like <laughs> His, his attempts to read Middle English and to fucking learn Middle English. Anyway, yeah, so he, I think you're, to bring it back to the point, you're pointing out something that is really relevant to that whole thing, which is character development in epic poems, which is really how he was like developing this, is all about very much telling more than showing. It's like about bringing forth an epic tale. And like when... You learn that Aragorn, for example, is like the king uh, and the heir to Isildur or whatever. They don't like let you learn more about Aragorn. He just like gives you someone just like has a poem 
that they say about how great Aragorn is and Aragorn looks like you know gloomy in the background he's like I am the hair and I hold the sword of Isildur and everyone's like cool like he must be amazing there's like no like showing of like his his greatness and but you don't care because you're like this is like a freaking epic world and I do think what I was going to mention about the game new game of thrones is that it's such uh, the opposite it's I mean they do some world building and stuff but it's so much just about the interactions between a couple of like a handful of different characters who they love who they want to fuck who they want to murder those are mostly the feelings that people have in game of thrones but that is in all of in that case all of the backdrop is just that it's the backdrop that's epic and stuff but like you care less about the like there's no struggle between like you know good and evil and whatever whereas it's like the complete flip for the lord of the rings um rings of power which is just it's about the backdrop and how much the backdrop is like really inspiring and and um and like interesting mythology Um, and it's not about the interactions between characters so yeah we'll see how they work out i think it'll be it's a comparison of like the two different ways of communicating with the modern american we'll see who wins my guess is people like the sex murder and stuff more than the epic storyline but maybe i'm wrong no you're probably spot on that's that's definitely where the zeitgeist has trended uh it was also hbo's biggest premiere in their entire history which is crazy that's fucking crazy yeah i think what's maybe underappreciated though is just the shared collective experience of the the cultural experience of watching a huge culturally important show while it's airing you know, instead yeah. of me trying to watch yeah. Game of Thrones like decades after it aired. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like the opposite of the Reign of Fire. It doesn't necessarily age well. You got to consume it, it right out of yeah, the spigot. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's got a short expiry. <laughs> very, yeah, very. You got to drink that bad boy within. Yeah. Got to get it in seven days or it'll be vinegar. Yeah. Awesome. Well, wh- do we want to jump to Mad God or do you want to touch on the other items that you had or we can save them for later too? It's up to you. Let's jump into Mad God. Wow. Okay. I don't well, even you know, know my how opinion. We, how so we'll jump in, but take <laughs> where, so you know my opinion. So t- hit me with like, where, where are your biggest takeaways or where does your mind go when you recall the Mad God? Okay. Here's a good start. Maybe I, let me just read the uh, <laughs> description. Let me see what Indib's got. I think you you may have read this last time. The one on uh, Letterboxd, I think, is better, but... Okay. Letterboxd. Follow the assassin through a forbidding world of tortured souls, decrepit bunkers, and wretched monstrosities forged from the most primordial horrors, great word, of the subconscious mind. Every set, creature, and effigy in this macabre masterpiece is handcrafted and painstakingly animated, using traditional stop-motion techniques. Good technique. Very good technique. Great technique. Uh, Mad God is a labor of love, a testament to the power of creative grit. Uh, Yeah, 30 years. And an homage to the timeless art of stop-motion animation. That's a little redundant. Uh, Ready your eyes, ready your spirit, prepare to meet your maker. (laughs) (laughs) Prepare to meet your maker. That is good. That's the modern Prometheus right there. I think the last three, yeah, the last three of the sentences say it all. Ready your eyes, ready your spirit, and prepare to meet your maker. <laughs> it's just, 
um yeah I, I, that is the throwback to um modern prometheus but phil tippett wow A fucking genius fucking genius so does it does what i was saying i mean i'm sure it's already been erased from your mind after you've actually seen it but does, what i was saying makes sense now how i was trying to explain the insanity and the artistic genius of this yeah it, it all makes sense in the sense that nothing in this movie actually really made sense in the traditional sense and yeah. i still have no idea what happened i there were obviously no dialogue no plot really right and it was probably one of okay so as soon as i finished it i watched this one and a half times and i just remember thinking like wow there's only a very small handful of movies where as soon as the credits roll, you're just like, I will remember this for the rest of my life. This is like in the pantheon yeah. of, I mean, name the ones that come to mind. It's literally the the Matrix, Mad Max Fury Road, 2001, Space Odyssey. I don't know. There there aren't really many others beyond that where you just feel this like visceral emotion of holy totally. shit. I just watched something that a human being somehow made. Yeah, it's in, indelible. It's it's the um did you ever read two six 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 by Roberto Bolaño? No. It's very similar uh, or Moby Dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of that one. <laughs> Not to compare Moby Dick, Mad God and two six six six, but there are some things that you consume, yeah, that are so uh, you can ignore the Moby Dick thing even though I actually do believe that. But um there are some things that you like consume that are just like you said, so it doesn't even matter almost what you think they what you think about them they so fundamentally transcend how you would normally judge the quality of a movie it's like it has to be a five star it's not a otherwise like what are we even here for like if if i'm going to be so deeply impacted by something like this um good or bad yeah, maybe it doesn't have to be five star depending on how you like define that personally, but it's but it's like it's obviously like you said one of the most inf- it will be one of the most influential pieces of art I think I will have ever consumed for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that this came out only a year ago. Yeah, 2021 because this is one of those ones where it's going to have a very slow burn and I mean, this this might be like the longest aging wine we've consumed thus thus far, right? This might be a fifty year burn on this thing, and then we'll pop the cork, <laughs> and it'll be even better if that's possible. But I agree, it's like it completely defies every like w- when you watch a great movie, like a normal great movie, you're trying to compare it relative to other great movies that you've seen. There, it's relatively formulaic if you've seen enough of those, and having zero point of reference for what to even categorize it as is actually right. amazing. And for me, yeah, it's a hundred percent a five banger. Well, what, what's your, I want to talk about Phil Tippett again a little bit, but what, what are your other, like, do you, or I understand if you don't have any, it's pretty mind numbing, but like, um, not in a bad way, but like what are any other takes, like, or anything you want to like dive into on your experience? Yeah. I, okay. So I have two quick takes and then, the third thing is the one I want to dive into. So okay. first thing there, I think I texted you this, but some of these <laughs> scenes cannot, can never be unseen for me. <laughs> I know. And like no amount of therapy is going to change that. <laughs> and I, for better or for worse, 
I, I'm not even sure like how a human being comes up with these ideas, but I was reading that, or I guess Phil Tippett was having dreams about these characters and these creatures and this world. And he would wake up from his nightmares and like write down his ideas. And <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is not what I dream about for sure. <laughs> Un- until now. Uh, <laughs> oh God, I get it. That makes so much sense. <laughs> And it, which is amazing because the two two of the greatest cinematic achievements were from dreams, which is like an interesting, I don't know, referendum on the dream state. <laughs> Wait, what was the uh, what's the other one? Star Wars. Oh, which, well, that's actually what I want to touch base on, which is okay. like. Well, because you just brought up this, I was going to wait to the end, but since it's very relevant to the, this, your first comment, did you start watching any of the uh, documentary about industrial light and magic that recently came out? On Disney Plus? Yeah. Not I yet. I think. Well, you, are you familiar with ILS? Yeah. Like L I L M, I mean. Yeah. Because um, uh, didn't they also help out with basically Jurassic Park and how they pioneered like the way those dinosaurs look? They've done everything. Everything. Like, if you look at them, they're. It doesn't matter what studio, what great director. They're like, they. From Jurassic Park to Marvel to Batman to, like, they cover. Anytime anyone needs to show something that, like, has previously been unshown or is, like, out of the mind of some, like, writer who has never, like, illustrated anything, they call ILM. They started. They were literally created by George Lucas because there was no company in the world that existed that could do Star Wars. So he called up all these people who did stop motion, drawing, animation, backlight, illustration, all the stuff that like was essentially a bunch of people doing. Uh, first off, you should definitely watch this because Phil Tippett's in it. And, and that's what I'm getting at. But um, Phil, they, they bring in all these like hobbyists who do like stop motion, visual effects and stuff for like their own little special side projects. And, I knew Phil Tippett was a big part of this industrial light and magic thing, given his stop motion stuff. And, and so then I watched Matt God and I started watching this. I'm like, Oh my God, there's the guy. Like he like, he's like in the, I guess he's, he's done like a lot of really amazing work in these um, early, early special effects things. So anyway, it's funny to think that he's working on things like star Wars and his day job. And then in this, <laughs> at night, he's having these horrible nightmares that you're talking about <laughs> and writing it down. And like in the more early morning, I'm imagining him like making mad God over the 30 year period with it. So it, it's crazy when you, when there's just great high art and you dig into like, how did it come to be? And a lot of it's can seem very purely happenstance, which I think is probably the, like the right take. It, it probably is happenstance, to be honest, to a certain extent. Yeah. Well, also iconographic, if that's the word. I do think it, it happenstance is right, but it's also, it's tied enough to sim- symbolism and iconography, I think, for it to not be untethered, if that makes sense from experience. Untethered like, meaning like? Mad God is like ha- the plots happenstance sort of is what you're saying uh, so i guess my point is when people create great cinematic high art i feel like a lot of times these whether it's like the uh, the symbols or like the world building or 
the ideas and stuff like that seem to come out of sort of nowhere out of thin air and they're just like receivers of like these are dreams these is this is his subconscious but his ability to take that do something with it and then also execute to create the vision that that part is amazing but the what started this is basically just him paying attention to random thoughts that come into his head right right yeah no i agree i agree with that I think where I misunderstood or I was just like agreeing with your point that being able to translate those, like every everyone, on, I think why you can commiserate, not commiserate with Mad God, but why it might resonate is everyone's had horror dreams, but so few, are, and people are fundamentally deep in their reptilian brain, I think often scared fundamentally of the same things from existential horror to like fear of what goes bump in the night. And so few people are able to act as that channel uh, from that subconscious, the subconscious thoughts in order to turn it into something that's like consumable, that taps into that horror in this case that everyone else feels. Like, so yeah, I totally agree with, with what you're saying. Yeah, that, that's definitely the genius. I, I guess like uh, along the same lines of like this world building, the other thought I had when I very early on in this movie Okay, well, okay, so let me take a step back. Basically, right after the Tower of Babel scene, you start getting into the world, right? The initial thought that actually, it it actually almost like improved in its magnitude throughout the movie was how epic the world that they built actually was visually. And I don't know, there's something that I can't really explain where every set piece in there, every character, every tiny little detail i mean the, the guy's attention to detail is like miyazaki-esque yeah every little pixel on that screen has a full depth of story that you could potentially dive into and all of it feels so believable it's stop motion animation yeah. but it's like the most realistic world for some reason that i've seen and that i feel like is a, a crazy achievement yeah you hit the nail on the head totally agree it's terrifying. I'm having, you're giving me like flashbacks and I'm like, that's why I'm, I keep holding my head over here. I'm like thinking <laughs> of this like, horrible oh, shit that I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, should I watch it again? That's like what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, no, why would you have that thought? <laughs> I probably will. Uh, what was your, your, uh, the thing you wanted to especially dive into? Yeah. So the, the main thing I wanted to talk about was the very first scene, the tower of Babel. I think there's some something so interesting about how symbolic that was. And I'm sure it's like also pretty open to interpretation, but my mind immediately jumped to as like the movie went on, I was like tying back the Tower of Babel and basically the depiction of like a post late Western capitalism world where we ended up in a post Babel world. This brings me to this book I was reading where the author, his main argument is that we are now in a post-Babel world. The way he defines that is basically two things happened that created that inflection point that burned down that tower for us as a species. And that was one, Google Translate being released, and two, and probably more impactful, Facebook, the newsfeed algorithm, and basically how they optimize that model for engagement and eventually that model learned that engagement really equals strong negative emotions 
so there yeah. there's a lot there but that that was like the initial my main takeaway was like this is such an interesting take on the downfall of late western capitalism and what happens in that post capitalism world yeah it's like when it it consumes itself with its own negative emotions because those are the only things powerful enough or sorry they are they are fundamentally more gripping than the other it's such a damning like take on human uh, uh psychology where it's like yeah i think of it very much as the way people a lot of people have issues with overeating like sweets and stuff because we like evolved over such a long period of time to when you have the chance to eat sugar or fat like you should totally just hoover it up because it'll help you like go for longer and like give you more energy than like something with a lot of fiber in it necessarily will um but now in a modern culture where you can have equal amounts of anything your body's like fucked up and it's like you're it's an, there's an imbalance with how, what you were like evolved over a million years to want to eat and i feel like what you're describing i feel like that's the best comparison that i can make because uh, i've also read a lot about that book but i haven't actually read it um and I think it's the closest comparison where it's like your mind on social media is the same thing as like someone who struggles with like obesity in front of the gas station, like cookie aisle. Like you might know that you're not supposed to be angry all the time, but late Western capitalism has determined that you're going to react to cookies the best. And so they just pack the aisles full of cookies. And like technically you don't have to buy the cookies, but like you're going to because your brain thinks, oh, like I should be like, this is important. I need to defend my tribe, you know, when like you actually don't need to defend your tribe. Your tribe's fucking fine. You should probably like go like, I don't know, date someone and try and have babies or something instead. But anyway, that, that's my hot take. Yeah, that's an, <laughs> that's an interesting comparison. I, I, I like, yeah, I like that comparison because not only is it toxic and we also optimize for very different things now based on that stuff that, that we have access to now, but the other part is, yes, everyone seems very angry, but also in reality, I think the majority of people are really not that angry and also not really that uh, radicalized in their ideology. But the new public square, which is now de facto basically all of like Facebook's, you know, social media properties, where it's like the only soapbox that you really have these days, it's not a fun place to be if you're a rational logical thinker that wants to also have that type of intellectual adversity to help you become smarter and formulate better ideas and stuff. It's really like the the minority becomes the majority or like the perception of. I don't know where I was going with that, but... What you're saying is that <laughs> fast forward so... 100 years and you have mad God. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is our future. The world we live in today whether it's a simulation or not, we know that there is an end state. And that is basically, like you always say, uh, we're, we're constantly heading towards a state of entropy, essentially, and uh, across like all different aspects of our society. And this is the best visual depiction of that that I have ever seen. That's a really, really interesting take. And the main character, the assassin guy, do we know like what his backstory is or like what he his purposes or like what he's doing well that's literally what i was about to ask you because like i feel like the so maybe it doesn't matter but 
I was interested to know what your you thought. That was my exact follow up question: was what do you think the purpose of the assassin is, and both his personal purpose, which I think you can argue there is based off of his actions, and yeah. then also um, what the purpose of like the last man or whatever um, is, and then also theoretically, you know, what is going on with the infant and the alchemist situation and all that, like. I don't know what what do you I have an opinion but I would love to hear your your thoughts as well, first. So some of the stuff with the alchemist I've already like blacked out of my memory with the whole like surgery thing and all it's like I I can't even think about that. But my yeah, main take, so takeaway with the assassin clearly he's being lowered down into some version of hell. I think that part was like pretty surface level. What I think was interesting was with no dialogue and no plot and just like this masked guy there was this like depth and complexity to his character somehow that they were able to achieve and i think the main thing that stuck out in my mind was he was sent to hell for some reason and he's on some journey using that map right he's like headed somewhere but there's clearly a human being inside of that thing that costume and the mask and there's something but you see it it's just he's just he's like a disgusting deformed theory i mean arguably it could still be a human some fucked up remains of what a human used like with it something that used to be a human but the yeah the assassin when they remove the helmet and stuff it is pretty horrific i yeah i may have blacked that one out already but yeah that part that you said you blacked out is when it happens is when he gets okay like, okay uh, when he gets like when he's still alive and they start dissecting him okay fuck i remember that yeah that was a tough scene tough scene to watch dude that's too much that, that lasted yeah, that, three that times borderline. longer than it should have yeah oh of all the like horror i mean maybe again there's probably maybe it's phil tibbet's intent for you to like interpret it in your own way uh or maybe it doesn't matter what my interpretation is probably more likely but I spent a lot of time like trying originally trying to like come up with in my head what the the purpose of it all was. And I gave up on the details, but I will say my, my opinion was, well, someone I'm thinking of mad God. I in my head, I was personifying hell or like the ruler of hell or whatever this evil is that has destroyed hell whether it's metaphorical or, or not, uh, created hell, whether it's metaphorical or not, it could be future late western capitalist world devolved into like this absolute horror of meaningless destruction and the production of like walking beings with the excrement of titans but but anyway my take was like these assassins because there's more than one of them but the guy that you're following is like a tragic figure in a lot of ways and that he's going almost he's bravely going almost certainly into death as you because as you find out there's been hundreds if not thousands of assassins before him sent to do something similar and he's going to as the name suggests and the fact that he has what appears to be a bomb to try and destroy this horror and even if that means that there's nothing beautiful to replace it like at least the horror will be destroyed and i felt like that was like the my beautiful the beautiful like gem underneath the horror of it is even in the face of all this evil there's still something out there willing to go face it and to try to to like 
at least erase it from the universe. And then I thought that it was kind of also, even though some people have argued it's totally unrelated, but I think the plot that I just talked through, or at least the symbolism of of what was happening, if it can be called a plot, is extended into the creature that is harvested from the inside of the assassin, which is like this horrible little fetus looking thing. Oh my God, it's just too much. I agree, that scene's just too much. But that turns into another universe. And I almost, I'd like to think that in spite of the assassin's ultimate failure, the the horrible broken soul that has a shard of goodness in it is used to like, you know, generate a new chance for the universe, even if it's doomed to fail uh again and again um and again anyway that's my take on the whole thing so <laughs> what is that quote for, uh, the jeff goldblum quote from jurassic park life always finds a way and this is basically like the depiction of that but i i actually really like your take because the one scene that i just can't get out of my head is when that the main assassin he's like down in that world there's this is so ridiculous there's that creature uh inside that empty oil barrel and he traps that lizard creature and then the bigger lizard comes and like just starts chopping him up and like the assassin's watching this from the side as like an observer and you can see there's what i meant earlier was like you can see there's something very there's like a very human emotion where he looks over and he's like you can tell he's like should i help this creature like he's clearly yeah being sliced to death and like right. he lingers for just enough time where he's clearly thinking something there's like this yeah. kinship where you're like you assassin and me on my couch we're not that different right at the yeah. end of the day like the core our core fundamental humanity is ultimately the same yeah. in very different circumstances um, i thought there was something like just beautiful about that yeah that's such a great uh, example. And and that's what keeps... I mean, I think we're on to something here. I think those moments that are sprinkled throughout the movie, the, that despite there being no real plot and despite there being no... Ah. <laughs> and despite there being no great, like... Uh, uh, sorry, no dialogue. That's what carries you through because there's all these little moments of, like, recognition amidst the horror uh wow it's what a fucking what a fucking i might have to watch this again like tonight <laughs> dude i might t- i was just thinking like i need to get to the bottom of like this uh but i just don't i can't the thing that really got me I, of all this yeah of all the stuff i think the like 15 minutes between the like uh surgery excavation and the and then like the grinding up of the little fetus thing I'm just yeah. like, I'm like, I just, I can't see that. Again. I can never watch that again because it's already burned into my mind. I'm like, I can't, <laughs> I can handle all the other insanity. That was just too far. But I, I will say I did, I did read a review about that scene that I thought was good. Definitely doesn't make me still want to watch it again, but they were talking about how the inside, the, the, the fact that the jewelry was coming out of the, assassin was like a commentary on how even inside of someone 
who is trying to potentially do a good thing in terms of, well, on the side of good in terms of dispelling hell, he even has inside of him the um, root of capitalism, which is like f- greed for physical goods that ultimately drove the world beca- to to where it was today. That was clearly like maybe a, a critical Marxist theory view on it, but um, but I also think that there must there probably is something there because I think there's too much thought that went into it. Yeah, in my opinion, for like you brought this up before, but all the details, even if they are random in some cases, they do feel as if they've been really really thought out. And so I think there's a reason why the stuff that came out of the assassin is what it was. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that excavation felt very intentional. Like, there's no reason they would waste spending several weeks animating, like, the jewels <laughs> coming out unless there, there's a very specific reason. I like that take a lot. And it, it was such a crazy movie. I was like, I didn't even bother to look at the reviews because I was like, there's no way any actual film critic watched this and reviewed it. But I just looked it up. Roger Eber gave this 100 Metascore. That's if you remember. You probably again. I know it was a while ago, but that was when I when I first told you about this. It was before anyone oh, that okay, I had I heard that. of reviewed yeah. it, and it was the Roger Ebert review. I was literally just reading through because I, I love their reviews. Typically, I I just sometimes go to the website and like look for recent ones, and like right after it came out, Roger Ebert posted this like effusive, "Holy shit, this is a game changing movie" review, and I watched it, and I was like what in god's name have i watched and that's what i that's when i came to you with my my horror and fear but then uh if you recall right after we recorded our episode um like all the big movie podcasts all did a review of it which that I thought was, was crazy timing i don't know how that happened but i mean literally just because i happened to be reading the roger Ebert website and i think um i assume like all those guys were doing the same thing and we're like whoa we got to check out this insane Phil Tiffett movie. And everyone at the same time had this horrible, shocking feeling. Um, but everyone rated it well. Like all the critics have rated it quite well. Um, or at least the ones that I respect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it. Uh, sorry to keep citing the Metascore. I just think it's a good data point. But it's got an 80 on Metascore, which is pretty fucking high. But I still think it's being slept on. It should be 90 plus, in my opinion. I agree. But I also understand that the things that have 100 Metascore are ultimately not that controversial. And I think I think that it actually is a... If Mad God... There might be something wrong, actually, if Mad God got a hundred. <laughs> like, that means we're nearing. <laughs> yeah, it needs to like disgust twenty percent of people, <laughs> not more. Um, I mean, it disgusted us, and we gave it five stars. But, but still, like, it's like the Godfather and like Wizard of Oz are the highest two meta score. <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, sure, there's violence in Godfather, but it's not like exactly a controversial film um so well anyway i'm so glad you liked it i was terrified at first until i got your second set of texts yeah. that you were gonna like hate it and be like bradford what the fuck did you make <laughs> me watch uh, uh, yeah great great wreck for all the well for the few zeit listeners out there this is a must must watch this is like yeah. zeit stamp of approval 
watch it once because after you watch it once you'll definitely watch it again i also just yeah. looked up not because you want to yeah but because you have to yeah <laughs> i also just looked up the list of highest rated metascore movies of all time it's it's a pretty interesting list uh, godfather's at the top obviously what was the what are the next one i knew that there was a uh, wizard of oz was up there but citizen kane here's a surprising one number five boyhood link letter really yeah i was i was really into that movie but it's not for everyone it was it's not a hundred yeah, it's no, not a hundred yeah it's not a hundred i yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, you were the one who who got me on it, but I think um, yeah, I wouldn't put it wouldn't put it at the top. Uh, so. Number eleven, Moonlight. That one checks out for me. Ninety nine. Yeah, that that one's hard to find a lot of fault with, and it's also like a very powerful story. Like I, it's really hard to pull off the like multi. Um, generation or not multi-generational like the multi multi timeline about the same character and i think they did it like really really well yeah um okay i have to go to bed yeah let's let's wrap let's also pick uh, the next feature actually sorry i i got one that you might actually be into have you heard of zola uh no that's an a24 special from two years ago also based in florida it's like a like a funnier version of the florida project but (laughs) with strippers and like a uh, i actually haven't seen i heard it was really good but if you watch the trailer and okay or we could just yeah we could do it (laughs) let's do it i mean we can also talk green night because we've already both watched it so we can just yeah um do that so double feature green night and zola coming at you next week and by next week i mean sometime in the next (laughs) 30 days year (laughs) yeah (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.